Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. I'm joined by Carl and Bo. And today, the date is the 27th of November, 2023. It's not November. Fine, <laughs> It's October. Oh, uh, is it? All right. There we are. Go anyway. <laughs> See, this is why we need to keep on top of the day. We have some actual important date news, though, today, which is that uh, the clocks are going back in the UK. So I'm very sorry to all American viewers, but things are going to be weird on Monday because we're going to be starting an hour later than usual. So actually, that's good news for you. You can have a lion. An hour later is an hour earlier. It'll be an hour later for them. All right, good. So that's that's how that works. Okay. Never work with time zones if you ever have the opportunity to. Just don't do it. It's a bad idea. Yeah, I don't really understand how they work. Yeah. But there is one more announcement to make, which is there is the gold tier Zoom call after this podcast. So if you're a gold tier or would like to be, you can uh, still have time to join up and come and join us at 3 p.m. UK time. And we'll be sitting around and chatting with you. So that, that's what the gold tier Zoom call is. So come and enjoy. Otherwise, uh, today we're going to be talking about the most wonderful time of the year. It has been Labour Conference again. I bring gifts to all of you, all the boys and girls of the land. Uh, how could this happen to us? And also the burning head of Robert E. Lee, which I should have got like doom music or something. For yeah, it's such an impactful image. Fantastic. But anyway, we shall begin, I suppose, with um, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Boys and girls, Labour Conference has happened. I've watched it. Uh, I do want to die. But I brought out the best parts and I thought we'd enjoy the best parts because, hey ho. That's fun. I like that this has become an annual tradition for you. Ooh, Labour Conference. <laughs> Look how crazy they are today. And they're still crazy, I imagine. They, they still are. There has been a significant change. And I, I think we'll, we'll get into that because um, one thing that's happened that everyone has obviously known is that new guy, Keir Starmer. Yeah. He kind of purged everyone under the age of 40. Yeah. And that's where all the proper new Corbynistas were. Yeah. There were like 170,000 people he purged or left. So there's been. You know, there's, there's been a, a negative out of all of that, which is that it's been less fun to watch. But <laughs> that doesn't mean they've solved the crazy problem, and they never will, because it's a socialist party. Sure. So I think we'll enjoy some of the clips. And uh, we shall begin, because if I want to make my case, we'll begin with the evidence, which is the first speaker to even come up and speak. Um, she's a pronouner, of course she is. Let's play. Good morning, conference. Angela Dewarden, proud Unite member. And my pronouns are she, her. Yeah, of course they are. That was the very first speaker. The first thing was, I'm very she. The first thing, get up. <laughs> Solidarity <laughs> fist, she, her. There was an awful lot of people coming up with their Palestinian landlords still. This was after David Lammy came out being their foreign uh, secretary and just said, no, we stand with Israel 100%. Everyone shut up. Stop doing your thing. <laughs> I was like... Okay, that's an All interesting. Right. Uh, she probably does need to clarify her, <laughs> her gender. There. Oh no, she doesn't. It's obviously a she/her. But that is always that's three is always included because I think we we sort of lose eventually listening to people say their pronouns endlessly. What is the purpose of that exactly? Because yeah. as you rightly point out, you're really saying that you're that ugly. We can't tell. Because why else are you saying exactly? Well, even occasionally, ugly people can. You can tell that they're male or female. Very, very occasionally you'll get someone that's like very, very androgynous and yeah. they've deliberately chosen a haircut and it's, it's sort of, it's not clear. But that's so rare, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's a really, really rare thing in reality. I can think of any occasions where that's really been the case. Yeah. You know? but, but, I mean, it, it definitely does happen occasionally. But my point for bringing it up is just to remind everyone, like, this is insane. No one else in the world does this but Westerners. And um, uh, I'm not accepting at any point this is minor or normal. It, it's not just Westerners either. It's a very narrow constituency of Westerners. True, true indeed. 
But we'll go on to the next one, which is, uh, I get to a point of policy, which is uh, apparently we need, um, as she puts it, neurodiverse representation in the leadership, which is a very polite leftist way of saying we need more actually crazy mentally. people. Yeah, crazy people in the leadership. Otherwise, I don't see myself there. Let's apply that. I am a neurodiverse person, and I do believe in equalities representation, but I feel we need that representation within the leadership roles. That's what we should be doing. I want people with disabilities, people who are LGBTQ+, people who are BAME, I want them in the center. I'm just thinking of the Labour front bench and thinking, don't you have that already? Yeah, I mean... It's pretty obvious that they're not the, the, the brightest sparks. I would call the Labour front bench neurodivergent. <laughs> what, what is neurodiverse? Does that just mean mental it health? Mean, it means with mental, mental health, health issues. Yeah. Well, yeah, it means mentally ill yeah. or uh, mental, as we used yeah. to say. And she said it in the same breath as BAME and LGBTQ. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They, right. they do that every time. Yeah. Without, yeah, they don't think they notice well, no, me. They, <laughs> it's really weird. They say minorities, women, disabled people. <laughs> You know, all that sort of thing. And it's like, yep. It also frames it as anyone that isn't that is sort of normal. That's true, yeah. Right. And there's like the subnormal. Yeah. Is definitely the framing they use. But that's that's what all these words are for. Neurodivergent, cis people. It's a way of normalizing, sorry, marginalizing a normal person, as yes. Norm rightly points out. Yeah. But I do love it. I mean, we did, I just ended up, uh, I, I'll admit, I did kind of lose it at my desk when I was editing that because she was there being like, yes, I'm uh, mentally retarded and I would like more retarded representation or I don't see myself in this party. I was like, okay. I just want honest to God schizoids leading the party. <laughs> Is, that too, Is that too much to ask? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's perfectly reasonable if you compress every category into a position of equality and can draw no value distinction between them. But I love that it actually works with intersectional dogma as well. Like you can legitimately argue that there aren't enough people smearing their feces on the wall. Yeah. Uh, I do that, and I, I can't see it represented in the leadership, says the local Labour Party politician. And that's a serious position. No one booed that aspect of her speech. No, there's a pause. But the logical conclusion is that you say things, you'd end up saying things like, I want deaf mutes. <laughs> I, I, I want, there's I not want, enough mute representation. I want actual vegetables to be represented <laughs> in the leadership. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's literally where they get to, yeah. That's how John Fetterman got where he got. Are you not wrong, actually? <laughs> I'm not joking. This is, they, they genuinely don't. They, they genuinely don't feel there is a value difference between categories of person. That's what equality means to them. And so, anyone with any form of categorization is the same as every other. And so, someone who is like a Nobel Prize winner, a Herculean bodybuilder, and a conquering hero is the same as the deaf mute vegetable Labour Party member. And they all need to be representative. This is a real democracy. Exactly. And they're not, they're being oppressed if they're not being. There seems to be really no limit to the absurdity. It's like, I want a, a small child. I want a dead person. Yeah. I want a fetus. <laughs> like it's, it's not enough dead representation. Yeah. Dead yeah. people are 99% of all people, don't you know? Yeah. Dead lives matter or yeah. something. But no, but you're absolutely right. There, it, there is no limit to the absurdity. And that's why James Lindsay's conceptual penis and Peter Bogosian and Helen Pluckrose's, like their, their sort of attempt to kind of culture jam, like with the fat bodybuilding and stuff like that. It made no impression on the left because they're like essentially it's like an undiscovered country, right? Mm. So you've got what you can see, and then they they sort of illuminate this area of the map, going, "Oh, what about fat bodybuilding?" It's like, yeah, but that is two intersections that just no one had done yet. What about neurodivergent leadership? Yeah, well, that's just two this, intersections. Like all of these things I love are doing, just as valid to the left. This is why I love doing this, and why I think it really is the most wonderful time of the year. 
because we actually do get to see. It's not just insane Callum's stuff. Christmas comes early. <laughs> yeah, but it's genuinely not just insane stuff because the insane stuff is funny and there's you know a ha-ha element. But you're entirely correct, which is that we discover in real time new countries yeah. because they're thinking about this 24-7 and then stand on a stage <laughs> in front of thousands of people on a live stream and say it. So yeah. there we are. I, neurodivergent leadership now, whereas... <laughs> <laughs> this, I'm just you know how they're always like I'm the first woman prime minister I'm the first brown person <laughs> I, I'm the first mentally retarded prime minister and then there's just applause yep. from like crowds of people they they will uh, un- one day be like we're the first down syndrome prime minister yeah and like literally the downs have been oppressed for so long yeah uh, quadriplegic prime minister oh, like, they, they will demand it all because it exists and we say this as like, haha, funny, but genuinely they do believe that and we'll end up there. Yeah. So there we are. Uh, I suppose we'll move on to the next clip though, because um, she did an oopsie, which I think she misspoke, but it led to her getting denounced by the party immediately after she finished her speech. So um, I think that might be this clip. So let's play that one. It doesn't help to have a disabilities officer who struggles to make meetings. It doesn't help to be a token person. I was also incredibly disappointed to hear ableism on this stage. And I quote... It doesn't help to have a disabilities officer who struggles to make meetings. Conference, if your disabled members struggle to make meetings, then you need to fix that, not use it as an excuse to deny us voting rights on executive committees. The very fact that this went unchallenged by the chair, as they should call out any discrimination on this stage, demonstrates why it is so important that disabled people always have a seat at the table. And I can tell you from experience that if that space isn't mandated, then it is very rarely available to us. So I'll have to describe it because there's been a bug, so we can't hear it. Yeah. I, I don't know if you can fix that, John, because it, it kind of doesn't work for the other clips. But the, uh, the lady who was speaking before stands up and talks about how it doesn't help if you have a dementia officer who can't organize meetings, which obviously is true, yeah, why would you have someone in charge of your local branch? Does their dementia, dementia officer have dementia? <laughs> that, well, that's like, the point, essentially. Is it literally representation in all things? So here's the thing about, because we've done some local politics in the UK, and it's the same between UKIP and the Conservatives, I found, which is that you have a chairman, and then you have a secretary, and the chairman hosts the meetings, decides the events, the secretary organizes who's coming and whatnot. And then maybe you have a campaign officer or something weird like that who helps with the actual campaigning. And that's pretty much about it. That's all the officer positions you need. In the Labour Party, it seems they do things differently. Uh, They insisted that they have a load more roles that could be filled. Hmm. And I don't really know how many there are, but there seems to be about 30. Because there's an LGBTs officer. That can be a thing. There's uh, a diversity officer who literally is for the BAME. And then you have... I don't know if there's a dementia officer. Maybe it's just disabled persons officer instead, but that person happened to have dementia. But remember, for these for these particular uh, categories, you need to recruit from within the category. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, it's not fair. Otherwise, it's not representation. But I, I just... So the lady who then gets up after her, she, <laughs> you know, the insane person from before then makes a sensible point of maybe we shouldn't have someone with dementia organizing stuff. So then she stands up and denounces her as being... Um, well, discriminatory against disabled people yeah. for saying this, which I, I mean, what do you expect? I yeah. suppose yeah. The, the deaf mute representation isn't getting back to us. Yeah, I mean, as soon as someone has a clairvoyant, well, just sensible thought of maybe 
We should help disabled people. There's no people. even clear buoyancy. <laughs> 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 you don't need that. Maybe our leaders shouldn't have dementia. They might not be the best at remembering things. And then suddenly the next speaker is just like, I like to denounce the previous speaker. She's being discriminatory against our, well, <laughs> mentally th- handicapped commissar. Just, just to be clear, we're not in favor of, you know, unnecessary discrimination, but there are certain functions that a person has to fulfill. Like, I always use the example, I'm five foot nine, I'm never going to be able to play basketball, that's fine, you know, and you, sometimes you just have to accept your physical limitations and things. Sounds like nonsense to me. Yeah, well, these people, whatever you want. These people are less crazy and obnoxious than under the Corbyn years as well. Very this has been slight. dialed down yeah. slightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Significantly, All right. I <laughs> must say. <laughs> so, there we have it. This is, this, is, uh, this is actually a return to normalcy as they'd advertise. So I suppose we'll go to the next clip, and hopefully it works for us. Um, this is them talking about that they have discovered a new achievement in life. They still haven't got a woman leader and never will, but no. they will have the first woman chancellor. 800 years, over 100 names, and all of them men. When Labour forms the next government at the next election, that is going to change because Rachel Rees will be Britain's first female chancellor. <laughs> Truly incredible. It's amazing that women in the Labour Party have got such low expectations, though, because the Conservatives have had three female prime ministers. And the Labour are like, well, maybe we'll get a female chancellor. Yeah. So, who would the... that be? Thornbury? God only knows. Can you even imagine? Emily Thornbury? Oh, no, it's not her. It's some other woman, which um, we're going to take a look at in a minute, I suppose, actually. Because, well, should we take a look at her work? The lady yeah. they want to be the first female chancellor? Just a quick thing. John, while that's happening, can you uh, close and reload the the playlist in the thing, so I don't. Yeah, we still can't the, hear the it. first one. The first one worked fine. Don't know why the second and third ones were just not. Yeah, so still it's not your it. fault, but like you can just give it a go. Cheers. So whilst we're doing that, we're going to go and check out. So this is the lady. Oh, yeah. Have any idea who she is? Yeah. Do you care? Rachel uh, Reeves. Literally, who? Yeah, no, the name does <laughs> ring a bell. I have but, seen something about her. But the thing is, it's just a complete nobody. Like it's no, there's nothing there whatsoever. There's no interest. She's not done anything of worth that they advertise. Um, average Labour Party politician. And that's their most put forward position of like, we will achieve a female chancellor, a, a person in charge of the money. Yeah, but we that's did it. before Diane Abbott. Oh, like, you know, here's, here's, our, here's our people of note. Emily Thornberry, ooh. Diane Abbott, ooh. Jess Phillips, oh, Jesus well, Christ. I think Emily Thornberry's the foreign, shadow foreign sec, but I've seen her in interviews and she's, as you can imagine, pretty complete, completely uninspiring. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you can see here, that's really? not her only problem. Keir Starmer's cabinet is uninspiring. Well, that's the thing about this whole shift, because you went from the Corbyn years that were quite exciting to now grey and dull. That seems to be the strategy to win. Yeah. Which, you know, a bit weird. But you can see here, that's not her only problem. Her biggest problem here is that she decided to release a book after conference, where she was like, guys, here's my economic plan. And it turns out she plagiarized all of it. Which is doubly hilarious because, as noted from this review here in the Financial Times, where they're just comparing like paragraphs at some points, they're just like, well, this is exactly the same, <laughs> like word for word. She plagiarized it from who? Wikipedia. So, oh, all right, okay, all right. You know, the hardest of. Uh, oh, go back up. That that was literally identical. Yes. Or virtually identical. I mean, you could. Re- oh, what a, a professional embarrassment! Yeah, can you even imagine? But the, the best uh, part is that one of I wouldn't even do that at undergrad. Wouldn't dream of yeah, doing yeah, yeah. it. Let yeah. alone to uh. let alone writing it in a book. So now it's imprinted there forever to the whole country. She denies that she's uh, plagiarized any of this, which <laughs> doesn't work when we have word. when we have the quotes next to each other. But whole other issue. The best part is because again, some weirdo released a book. 
Um, her book is about how women are not given the credit for their work or ideas. <laughs> the irony. And then she plagiarized all of it from from other people. <laughs> I just that's the person that they're advertising as like, oh guys, we're gonna have a first female chancellor. It's not even a nobody. It's you've fallen at the first hurdle. We can't help but give the, the people who wrote what you're claiming is yours the real credit. But at a all. glance there, it looks largely, if not entirely, just a cut and paste job. Yes. Because you're, you're sort of allowed or expected on some level. It's impossible to avoid paraphrasing th yeah. things you've seen or read. Well, but to just to cut and paste, I mean, there's, there's no excuse. Well, you see here, they have. She went from uh, FWG right, yeah. to Fabian Woman's Group. She wrote the whole name. That's, that's pretty cool. Hard work right there. I mean, look at the one above from Wikipedia. It's literally word for word apart from the daughter of veteran Fabian member, the daughter of veteran Fabian Sidney Oliver. So, okay, brilliant. That is not, that's not even paraphrasing. She's not the only instance as well of them being like, hmm, women. Uh, there was a couple of other times. I won't play the clips because we don't have time. There's one where some woman comes out and says that she's the first Scottish woman to host the UK section of the NEC meeting this year. Whoa. Really wow. big strides. There's also now... <laughs> just... Finally, Scottish women can get ahead. Yeah. This is what progress looks like. Okay? <laughs> Which I, I just kind of really enjoy this. <laughs> because it is kind of funny how they have completely given up on the old insectional moon landing of like female prime minister. Because they... I like that insectional moon landing. That's a good phrase. Because that's the thing about the yeah. space race is everyone brings up those charts and they're like, yeah. well, the Soviets were the first man in, in space, first object in space. First rover on the moon, you know, first object on Mars, first object on Venus. No one cares. First man on the moon's what anyone cares about. And the Labour Party have literally lost all of those races. First women prime minister, yeah. brown prime minister. But they'll get the first female chancellor. Eh? I guess so. So okay, man. The, the, the space race is over. You know, the, the and the Conservatives won it somehow. Yeah, damn it. Ugh, just an embarrassment for their own cause there. But that's um that's why it's so funny to me that they seem to have actually just given up on even trying in this space race anymore, and are now just going for uh, the first guys at the North Pole after everyone's been to the moon. But anyway, we'll go back to the clips if we can uh, play them, because there's uh, a couple more which um, are pretty good. The next one here is um, them talking about the most important issue of the day to workers in this country, which is racist and sexist AI. New laws to protect us from discriminatory algorithms, because remember, conference, it is human beings who write the code that dictates how AI treats us. So it's easy to see how prejudice and inequality can become hardwired into systems. This means that the legislation will ensure that AI and technology does not discriminate based on age, gender, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. So they're calling there for AI to be censored in case it discriminates on age, gender, race, etc. Because of course, as we know, it is a reflection of the people who made it, whitey. I mean, that's broadly true. I mean, it, it's, you know, I mean, it, it was probably made by white people and it probably does look at reality. To be honest, it's mostly made by Indian people. Oh, that's probably so, true too, yeah. Whole other situation. But that's their workers' rights, rights section, which, um, yeah. great, thanks. I feel very represented. And then we move on. And um, uh, it's really annoying that we can't hear this on our side, though. I'll, 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 I don't know what I'll do. But there's a lady who comes out, and she's Jewish. And she lives in London. And of course, after various speeches from David Lammy, etc., how about how we stand with Palestine, everyone take your fucking lanyards off. Yeah. Um, she comes out to tell everyone that she lives in the most diverse area of London and how wonderful diversity is. But also, 
It's a lot of Jew hatred recently, where I live. Let's, uh, let's enjoy her. We have watched in horror at the events unfolding in the Middle East. Our news feeds and WhatsApp groups are full of painful stories of women and children crouched in their homes in fear, hostages taken and some killed, young people who went to a music festival and never came back. In Finchley and Golders Green, we have neighbors from every continent, from pretty much every religion, and I'm proud of that. In Finchley, we celebrate our diversity. Our diversity is our strength. Over the weekend, in the beating heart of Golders Green, graffiti was daubed in the high street, a kosher restaurant was vandalized, and this morning, Jewish schools have advised their students to stop wearing uniforms due to safety fears. I cannot express how this feels. Literally can't be explained. Kosher restaurant was vandalized by the diversity. Mm. Diversity is our strength. I can't believe she said the meme and then told us about how there's been loads of anti-Jewish attacks. I mean, I'm sorry, but it just, it is, it is consistent. Obviously so, a bunch of white supremacists say MI5. I'm sure. There, there is one more thing to mention on that, which is um, some, I don't know, good news, bad news? I don't really know what to make of it. Good news. <laughs> There's news for sure, which is, of course, because the Labour Party has decided it stands with Israel 100%, they've lost the entirety of the Muslim vote. 93% of the Muslim vote, in fact. No way. 93% of Muslims who would have voted Labour are now saying they won't vote Labour. No way. And the only thing that's changed is their stance on Palestine. That's wild, because, okay, 90% of British Muslims vote for the Labour Party, yeah, because Labour is the party of Islam, or at least was the party of Islam, if only 5% of them remain as Labour voters. So as you can see, there is a caveat here that uh, they've added, I didn't know about this, the data is from a survey, not an aggravated polling. Right. But I wouldn't be even surprised. Even if that plays out even vaguely like that. The, the thing is, like, if you look at any of the, um, what is it, the Labour Muslim uh, account, for example, yeah. or any of the Labour Muslim MPs, all of them are very, very angry for some reason. Oh, really? No kidding. Mm. And it's, uh, it is fascinating to see that there does seem to be a proper consciousness around the, the Muslim bloc yes. that uh, no other group in the UK can even slightly replicate, which is if they don't like something, gone. So you have to stand with us 100%. Hmm. Yeah, it's a real shame that, I think. So uh, it's something crying shame. Um, it, it's one of those things, isn't there? The 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 connection between, broadly speaking, leftist, socialist, liberal with a small L issues and Islam. Mm. Remember in Jess, I think it's in actual Jess Phillips's constituency when there was that school. Yeah, they tried to yeah, teach yeah. LGBTQ stuff, and it was the no, Muslim no, parents no. that got up in arms. And um, you have to pick a side. You yeah. sort of have to pick a side. Um, I think Jess Phillips went with the LGBT side of yeah. things. And uh, told her to go away. At some point, if I could try and predict the future, at some point, um, an existing party like Labour or the Lib Dems or the Greens or whatever won't be enough for the Muslim vote. They'll form their own party and sort of all go en masse and start voting for that, you know, like the Islamic like Party in Britain Belgium. or something. Yeah. yeah. And then that will become a force in and of its, in, for itself. Entirely, it's quite possibly. Yeah. To be honest, I so, kind of see um, that as a good move for us because at least like we're operating on an honest platform. Then, like we know where the Muslim Party is, it's there, rather than uh, people not really understanding on mass. They're not just using the Labour Party as a host. Yeah, right. that probably would be better. But I'll end this off with the uh, the last clip here, which is um, a local lady who also tells us that she lives in the most diverse area of London. In fact, um, it's so diverse, as she says, there's 
large amounts of violent crime. Uh, her words, so, <laughs> okay. The words are about to come out of my mouth are the experiences of a 19-year-old teenager from an ethnic minority background. As much as I love my exotic olive-colored skin, people like me are unfortunately more likely to be victims of all kinds of violence. I'm from London, the most multicultural city in the world, however, also a city that has the highest proportion of people like my parents, immigrants of ethnic minority background. Statistically, women like my mum are more likely to be victims of every kind of violence, however, also least likely to report any kind of violence. Why, you may be wondering, conference, because of this Tory government. <laughs> I mean, in a roundabout way, she's right, right? I live in the most ethnically diverse part of London. Crime's really high. It's the Tories' fault. Yes, yeah. in a way, that's true. She says that she's the most uh, likely to be a victim of sexual violence because of the Tory government. And that's kind of true. Because she lives in a diverse area. Well, they're the ones who brought in a million immigrants a year. The Labour Party didn't do that. No, they did not. You know, so it's in a way, she's kind of right. But what I love about people like this is you can tell that these are like, you know, 105 IQ midwits. And she's never had... That's a, a high. I, I'm mm. being charitable. She's never had a single critical thought of her own in her entire life. And so you can just hear ideology pouring through her noise hole, mm -hmm. you know. And it's just, you've got... This person has nothing novel to say in any aspect of her life. There's literally zero ability to recognize any patterns. I mean, we had it from the previous speaker as well. But it? it's the Tories. <laughs> Consistent pattern. The Tories have always been in charge every time she's been mugged or assaulted. I mean, we're going to go on to it later, but I, I do wonder. I mean, she's a particularly funny example. At least she's young enough to be stupid. But like the older lady there who's Jewish, I mean... Not all young people are stupid. I, there's a trend with Labour Party members that the youngest ones are the most insane. That's all I'm saying. That, uh, but if you go to like the older lady there, I mean, usually they're a, le a little less like ideologically mental but she can't even recognize a pattern when she's facing violence in her own neighborhoods as a result of the diversity she herself celebrates. I mean, this, what do you do? It's that idea that the, the actual criminal themselves have no agency, aren't responsible for the thing. Yes, that's so exactly. So where you say she's kind of right that it's the Tories' fault, well, yeah, but only in an indirect sense. Yeah, if, it's the actual individual sex criminals and... Uh, yeah or whatever, that, that we would blame ultimately them. responsible. We would blame them because we believe they have agency and they make decisions. But she views the criminal yeah, as a victim of society and yeah. totally incapable of the, yeah. challenging the social structures that made them rape her in an alleyway or whatever. And right. someone like it's her like, Jesus. has to, absolutely have to, cling on to that 100%, not recognize any chinks in that argument, that logic. Otherwise, obviously, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think they're not bright enough to see the chinks in it. I mean, I hate to be that guy who is just, it's just a boring criticism. It's just like, man, these people are stupid. But come on. <laughs> like, what do you want me to, What is the truth here? I they do seem to be. be that stupid. I think it's just deliberately failing to pretending you don't understand. I mean, oh, man, I, don't, I don't know. I think a lot of them really are quite thick. But we have to end this off because I've run over time, unfortunately. But you can go and see more of it on losers.com. I put the full thing together there. That was just the best bits of the uh, clips. The, the whole thing is, of course, best bits of best bits. So you go and enjoy. And if you want to check out the previous years, we also have them. And this is what I mean by people like this chap here with the trans women and women. gender. <laughs> you don't know their pronouns. He, uh, okay. Uh, this person didn't turn up this year and a lot of other such people didn't. But there are still a few. I mean, like this guy here with his Che Guevara speech, his uh, endless stickers as well. And uh, he actually came back. So oh, there are some. Like I'm getting to the point now where I can recognize them by face. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So there's that. But an awful lot have been purged. 
I stuff. thought we were going to talk all about the heart and soul of the Labour Party, and I brushed up on sort of Clement Attlee Unfortunately, and Michael Foote and stuff. But I guess. Do you think any of these people know who any of those people are? But there is a relevance, though, <laughs> because I mean, I was talking to Bo before, rightly, about the uh, Pearl Purge they had to get rid of the insane types. Right, yeah. And as Carl points out, like 100,000 have gone. 170,000. I mean, was that old purge actually successful ever? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, well, the, well, if I just say a very few quick words on the heart and soul of the Labour Party, ever since the beginning, ever since um, the Ramsay MacDonald years, there's always been some sort of conflict between sort of very hardline proto-commies, full-blown Che Guevara-type Maoist, Stalinist types, and just your wishy-washy social democrat types. I mean, Blair is a great example where from the Michael Foote years gets getting less and less extreme through Kinnock. Anyway, you get to Blair and he changes Article 4 in their, in their creed hmm. to get rid of, um, you know, the means of production are actually owned by working classes. Yeah. Change that to something a lot more vague, like let's just make uh, the best opportunities for the, the many instead of the few. Things like that. There's always been... You also banned them from saying comrades at a uh, conference as well. So obviously Corbyn took them very far left just overnight. Yeah. And Starmer, although I don't want to give him any credit for anything ever, but you've got to say he has at least tried to purge the party. He's been it ruling seems, the party with an eye. Of the, these sort of ultra-obnoxious morons. Yeah. Um, He's been quite merciless to them, to be honest. He, he banned Corbyn, banned like, all these people. Yeet out the NEC and all these. Make sure know. John McDonnell sits yeah. firmly at the back. Yeah. Yeah, get, you I've know, got to give him that. If nothing yeah, else, cause it so that all of the like insane Corbynites just like, oh, I'm leaving. You know, it's like in Starmer's defence, he has ruled like Stalin. So good job. Yeah, like Diane Abbott. Bye bye now. Well, he didn't get. Did he kick out Diane Abbott? No, she's not kicked out, but she's right. not. She's way she's, in the long. Yeah, run. yeah. Right. Who she, the hell is she anymore? She's not near the centre of power. Is she? Yeah. She's not in the front shadow bench, power like she was with Corbyn. Right. Yeah. yeah, but I don't want people to forget that they are still mad. You can go and watch them live if you want to see the madness and um. I have to, to save you about 50 hours of your life. So there we are. God, it is really revealing though that, because I mean, Starmer came in being like, Jeremy Corbyn's due hatred, that's got to stop. And suddenly the Muslims are like, well, we're out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not yeah. wrong. They actually, the first conference after they got rid of that and said due hatred isn't allowed anymore, and they had a debate about anti-Semitism where they opened it with, we've broken the law and we need to say sorry. And the audience booed. Yeah. 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 Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. then? <laughs> I remember that. Pretty intense stuff. Anyway, moving on to more anti-Semitism. There are many people on US college campuses now and in other places in America who are asking, how could this happen to us? And I'm sympathetic but I'm also, really, <laughs> really, how could it be that there's a demographic in universities in the West that are being persecuted for what they are, say perhaps the color of their skin or their sexual orientation or something like that, as if this is a new phenomenon? The sex they were born with. Yes. You're overwhelmingly female universities now. You made the paradigm. <clears throat> you took advantage of the paradigm. And now the paradigm is turning on you. And there are, there are going to be lots of people who are not in favor of this, who are also being persecuted, which is unfair, obviously. But there are going to be a segment of the, these people who were in favor of the paradigm right up until Hamas committed an atrocity in Israel. Mm. And then the whole thing starts flipping on its head. The worm 
turns, the snake starts eating its own tail, and we see a resurgence of Herbert Marcuse's repressive tolerance. This is an amazing podcast that uh, I did with Thomas Dowling, and I'm glad we did it, and it because it's become a prescient thing to say, well, look, this has all happened before. This is precisely what Marcuse's radical students did in the 60s. It is happening now, and this is a perfect example of it, yet another perfect example of it. So I would definitely recommend going up, signing up, signing up, watching that, and then coming and re-watching this so you can see exactly the parallels in action. So let's begin with just a quick survey. Isn't it interesting how 63% of young adults in the United States are unaware that 6 million Jews were killed in the Holocaust? 23% of them say the Holocaust is a myth, exaggerated, or they just weren't sure. That's remarkable. There are other polls going around that show that something like only 28% of uh, 18 to 34-year-olds or something like that were supportive of Israel, just at all. You know, and 81% of boomers, but 30-odd percent of uh, Zoomers. And it's like, right, it's interesting. So what you have is a constituency of young people who have been radicalized by the education system and do not see Jewish people as a victim group. In fact, they see them as an oppressor group because of what Israel is doing to Palestine. Now, I'm making no judgments on this. This is not my opinion. This is just what they seem to think. And we're seeing the evidence of that ever around us. And so how does the left treat oppressor groups? Well, not brilliantly. Yeah, I'm sure I've got a, I've got a tiny violin on me somewhere. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, might have left it in the office, but... Um, I mean, this it, might just be the utter confusion of left-wing Jews. They were like, aren't we an oppressed group? It's like, never in these people's eyes are you ever going to be an oppressed group. Yeah. One thing I would say, though, just um, on the back of that, is that it does seem that unless you make a conscious effort to learn history, read history, hmm. uh, most people, most might be a bit strong, but a vast chunk of the population in any given country um, are fairly ignorant of, of history. Yeah. Um, so it's not, it's not on the face of it just massively surprising that there would be half or even more than half of young people that essentially don't know anything about it within, yeah. within reason, don't know anything about history. I mean, I even remember, I've been a history nerd and politics fan my whole life, and I remember being probably 17, 18, or 19 years old and at some point thinking, wait, I don't actually understand the Arab-Israeli conflict hardly at all. I don't really know what I'm supposed to think. Yeah. And I was an adult. I was a very young adult. I had to make a conscious effort to, to sort of find out about it. So if, you, if you're not like that, if you're not inquisitive like that and diligent enough to actually do some reading or some research. Which a lot of Zoomers are not. And those are in the days before uh, the hey. internet had really taken off. Right. That's yeah. most um, humans. Sure. But so, it, well, no, it does seem that there's a kind of emphasis of this in the Zoomers because like, I've seen loads of like just people on Reddit, like teachers on Reddit being like, Look, I, I, the Zoomers think the Holocaust happened in like the 1800s, and then they don't even ask me a follow-up question. Yeah, when I tell more them more time has passed. Yeah, but other generations, you'd be like, okay, well, what is it? But the Zoomers don't go that far. It's like, oh. Sure, I, I'm not sure about that, because I think if you ask someone from the 1950s about Napoleon, they probably have a level of ignorance that would seem shocking at the time. Maybe, but I think they might be like, okay, when did it happen? I don't think people in the 1950s would, would uh, care when Napoleon. If you ask the average normie, I, like there's a, a, there's a honestly, I, I think like. you're wrong about that. There's a YouTuber I like who, who did an experiment. There's a reason I'm saying this. Yeah. Is that she read uh, some guy who actually did that thing where you go to the streets and ask people basic geography or history sure. questions. And he did it in 18-something. 
And the response is, she's there dressing up, making fun of how ignorant people were. And I'm like, but that's the same today. Sure. You go and ask people of the exact same stuff, the exact same time period ago, and they Maybe. would not know. I don't know, man. I think that uh, things have got worse. But so I'm, I'm going to get a lot of criticism from both sides here um, because one side is going to say to me, yes, well, is there not an over-indexing of Jewish professors in left-wing intelligentsia and academia who have been promoting what we can eventually just call communism, which has led to the kind of racialization and the sort of the, the snake coming around to bite its own tail. And to that, I have to say, yes, that is true. Um, but that isn't all Jewish people, of course. And that, of course, isn't the Jewish students who we're going to watch in a second being persecuted by the radicalized students. So I want to make it clear, I am not saying this is just what Jews do or something like that. I don't think that's an accurate characterization. Maybe we should talk about or, or mention, frame it in terms of multiculturalism, sure. sort of the multicultural paradigm rather than communism necessarily um but yeah i just think a few a couple of life lived experiences of my own well a couple of times i've been to america mm -hmm. and um like in europe or in britain you'll find some people that are extremely well read extremely knowledgeable and then others that just don't know hardly anything yeah. i remember mentioning in passing a reference to napoleon in america once and no one they hadn't heard the name uh, but i think actually in the west in America, we're actually much more aware than other places in the world. I've been to places in Southeast Asia. I've talked to people in Southeast Asia who've never heard of World War II, if you can yeah. believe that. No, that's not really totally. They've never heard of it. Yeah. And one of, one of it's my... sort of astounding to me. Yeah. But, uh, but it happened really close to us, and it didn't happen really close to them. There's pretty bad World War II stuff in Southeast Asia, <laughs> in Burma, Thailand. Sure, sure. Um, but it's not even like that. I mentioned before, I had an, uh, an Arab ex-girlfriend, and they obviously are all taught to hate Israel. None of them are ever taught the Holocaust ever happened. They didn't know what World War II was. Same thing. I mean, there, I mean, you have to wonder if it's state ignorance on purpose, but it's completely normal for people to not know anything about World War II. If you actually look at all of humanity. Yeah. But any, anyway, so the reason, the reason I'm just drawing these distinctions is to say that it is true that there is an over-indexing of left-wing Jewish professors, but this does not mean that the Jewish students that you're about to see are in some way responsible for what has happened to them here, which is what the implication will be if I, if I were to just characterize them all as, just, as Jews, right? This is not what I'm saying, and I want to make that clear even though I'm going to get some kickback for making that clear. And in fact, if anything, it should show people that actually ideological inclinations can render people who you might think are on your side as actually people who are opposed to you. And we just saw that with the Labour Party, in fact. So anyway, let's move on then. So this, um, have you got the mouse? I have a mouse? Yeah, yeah just play. You, you can just, yeah, just play this video. So this, this happened at uh, Cooper Union. Like, what's going on? It's hard to hear, but you can see people hear people bashing fire doors there, shouting "Free Palestine!" But a bunch of Jews who are having a, a meeting. Well, they uh, locked the library doors because the the Free Palestine uh, protesters were marching to the library because they were in it, it seems, and because they are Jewish. That's quite. That's quite bad. There's another video from another angle. Can we play this one? Maybe it comes through better. Sure. They're banging on the windows here. Yeah. You need the Cooper Union demand, and you can see the lots of representations of Palestine. 
what the Jewish students in there are supposed to do about it isn't quite clear. But as you can imagine, this was quite distressing for those students. And what we are seeing here is, of course, manifested racial tensions in the multicultural um, constituency. Racial and religious. Both, yeah. It's like you can't really, can you really distinguish the two? So I have a, a little bit of insight here as well, because I used to go to Jewish society at university, mm. not because I'm Jewish, they just have free food. Sure. So it was great. <laughs> Smart. But you, uh, you could sign up all you want. At the Same reason I go to the Harry Krishna tent at Glastonbury. <laughs> free grab. No, but then everyone there was great. Like the, the, the rabbi was absolutely fantastic. Um, if you're watching, great job and great food. But we would go there and it doesn't matter how much you sign up at Freshers Fair to get an email from them. You're not getting one. They literally check if you're Jewish and then they only email those people. And it's not because of we don't want uh, non-Jews there. Like I was fine that they didn't have a problem. Then I spoke to him and asked him why. He says, because we're hyper paranoid about people killing us. Because on campus, they had a significant amount of Muslims from all over the world. So they literally just couldn't take the risk. It had to be like the Masons, where you had to know someone to get in. Right. So I imagine these students there are having a similar... doesn't situation. sound very inclusive, does it? No. It doesn't. Yeah. Weird that multiculturalism requires um, these kinds of precautions, isn't it? I think where I was on the podcast the other week about the, the, the recent Arab-Israeli conflict, and I did uh, Brokenomics with Dan, check that out, Dan's last Brokenomics, where we talk about it as well. Um, the only demand, really, if you're of the Hamas-style <coughs> stripe of the river to the sea, River Jordan to the Mediterranean Sea type of version of free Palestine, is, there's no real demand. It's undo what Ben-Gurion did in 1948. It's deport yourselves en masse somewhere else in the world. That's, there's no, that's the only demand. Yeah. Uh, I mean, undo history the, is what the, they're asking. The total it's, abolition of the state of Israel. Yeah. Presumably the inhabitants yeah. therein. And how they expect some American students to... It's like having a go at someone on a call center for the policies of a giant corporation. Well, it's literally... That poor schmuck on the end of the phone can't do anything. They weren't responsible for it. They, uh, yeah. Um, <coughs> well, this, it makes this, no sense. It makes it, no sense. It's like berating a guy who owns a shawarma shop for 9-11. It's like, what? what? <laughs> I don't know what's just happened. I'm just making food, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't make sense. But this is uh, a write-up from the New York Post. So a handful of Cooper's Union Jewish students were barricaded inside the university's library when pro-Palestinian protesters went past security and started pounding on the doors. And it doesn't look pleasant to have been in there, to be honest. Um, obviously, a lot of these Jewish people are very worried about that. They say, we st they, when they started banging on the door, my heart started pounding. I was crying. I think if the doors weren't locked, I don't know what would have happened. And it's entirely possible that violence may have occurred. Because, I mean, as we'll get to, this has happened to me. And I wasn't involved in something like a mass in Israel. So, you know, the, I, I agree. These are radicalized students and they're nuts. Um, but uh, the demonstrators are carrying Palestinian flags and uh, Zion, Zionism hands off our university signs. Uh, were demonstrating there. And there are 11 Jewish students who were trapped in there, basically. And uh, no one was punished for any of this. That's a routine thing I find at universities. Yeah. If you engage in violence or intimidation and you're just of the right ideology. Yes. Even though the rules are written, you will never be punished. Yes. Uh, just nothing happened. New York police chief came out and was like, yeah, no, no one was barricaded in the, uh, in the library with people pounding on there saying, you know, chanting anti-Zionist slogans. It's like, okay, but we did watch it. 
Yeah, we do have video evidence. Yeah. I mean, they did look quite scared and pensive when they were looking at the door. So, I mean, I don't know why that would be the case. But, um, but anyway, then you got the sort of reaction to this from a local councilwoman. It was like, right. So there was a rally walkout that was supposed to happen outside the school on public property. The protesters stormed the school building. There were no consequences and nobody was arrested. So, yep, been there. No one got, no one got arrested when that happened to me. Uh, faculty members canceled the class for the walkout, encouraged students to participate, and even offered extra credit to do so. Really? <laughs> if I go on the anti-Jew march, I get, I get marks. Do you not remember <laughs> the... I need some muscle over here, Professor. Yeah. Not new. No. Did you see recently uh, some pro-Palestinian protesters, in inverted commas, climbing up some scaffolding on Whitehall and setting off some flares? Yeah. And they came down, the police were there. Yeah. And they just gave them their Palestinian flag back and let them on their way. Yeah. If that was us, we'd be in handcuffs immediately. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a yeah. full breakdown in civil society you're seeing there. The, the complete um, rescinding like the application of law and order. Mm. Like you would be absolutely punished if you got up there with the British flag. That would be haram and you would be punished. Well, you don't want to end up like Salman Rushdie's. Um, I guess or like Salman Rushdie. I was going to yeah. say some of the people around him. Yeah. But he himself didn't he get stabbed in the eye or something. Yep. Uh, the, the, well, God only knows. I can't remember. They, they stopped talking about that incident, didn't yeah. they? Loads of as, stuff happened. Yeah. Well, he had a, over the years. He, yeah, he had to go and hiding. There were loads of attacks and bomb threats. Yeah, and I think like his a couple of, more than one people around him was killed or quite possibly or shot and killed. One of his interpreters, I think. And even if it wasn't him, well, what about like Charlie Hebdo or something like that? You notice how you're talking. I mean, I, I believe someone left the UK because of this problem. Yeah, and of course France went what ten years ago. Sure, you can't live there if you're him. And it's interesting to see America is now this bad in some areas. They're getting the European problems. Welcome to Europe. That's all I've got to say. Looking at that, so. There were only 12 security guards and they didn't stop the protesters. And so when the police were called, the NYPD did not show up right away. And when they arrived, the uh, school itself didn't allow them on the campus because the campus is private property. This is a private pogrom. <laughs> You're not invited. Yep, it kind of looks that way. Uh, some of the protesters. I if there's a crime going on, that doesn't matter to the police. It shouldn't matter to the police if it's private property if there's a crime in progress. You would think so, but I don't know what things are like in America, right? Mm. Um, some of the protests were acting violent, held anti-Semitic posters, as well as uh, things that look like sticks. So, yeah, that's, that's happened a bunch of times. Um, there have been loads of protests in which Antifa turn up with very heavy poles. Or bats. Basically, but with a flimsy... Guns. Exactly, right? So this not, nothing some new of here. Them in some states where you're allowed to carry a weapon, I think maybe Texas, there's more than one state where you're yeah. sort of allowed to have... Uh, like an AR-15 or something. Sure, but, in, but what... Turn what, up in... What's the purpose? But what Antifa were doing like 2018 is turning up with very heavy poles that were used as flagpoles, right? And so it's like, you don't actually need this giant heavy pole. You're using this, this here as a weapon. I saw um, Alex Stein, um, primetime Alex Stein, 99, <laughs> just confront some of those uh, Antifa people that have got um, an AR like, across their chest. Hmm. And he was just sort of... Confronted them and say like, it's quite brave in my book anyway, but in some places they turn up with guns, you know. Yep, but they're the ones where less violence happens because everyone's armed. Um, and the Jewish students barricaded in the library were terrified. Some of them shaken. They believed they could have been physically assaulted and injured, and feared for their well-being. One of the slogans heard was "Globalize the Intifada from New York to Gaza." What's an Intifada, Callum? Um, it's a rumpus. <laughs> it is something, something of a. Uh, um, 
a boogaloo. Yeah, it's a it's an it's an anti Jew boogaloo. Mm. A, sh- a shaking off is the translation, isn't it? Mm. Usually, mm. it's the shaking off of a oppression, mm. yeah, or occupation. Again, very similar to the English term boogaloo. <laughs> I didn't realize the chants were that bad, but yeah, okay. So, um, so yeah. Anyway, yeah, I I remember this sort of stuff. Uh, remember when Milo was going to speak at Berkeley and. Uh, Hundred thousand dollars in damages. He had to flee the campus. Things like that. Yeah, I think the SWAT yeah. had to support him out. Yeah, not not much outcry from certain people. I mean, he uh, was a white boy, so it was good. Yeah, exactly. In that instance, I mean, remember when I was attacked at uh, was good. College London? Yeah, yeah. You're 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 like a bigot and a Nazi, though. So that's literally so what good. they were yelling. So it's good. exactly yeah, yeah. That's exactly so right. it's okay. Yeah, and so so when it's like, oh, this is pure terrorism. It's like, um, what it wasn't pure terrorism when I was literally wrestling with Antifa on the stage. That wasn't pure terrorism. No. So it's fine. That's, that's no. totally fine. When, it, that was social justice in action. Yeah, when, when Ben Shapiro requires, like, was it $600,000 worth of security to make sure that he could speak at Berkeley? That wasn't pure terrorism. That was just totally normal. Because he's a Republican-leaning. Exactly, because he's right-wing. And it's like, oh, but how could this possibly be happening to us now? It's like, look, this was inevitable, right? It was just every time before, there was some more proximate oppressor who was in the way. And it's like, okay, but the white men are out of the way. You know, the, the right-wing Jews are out of the way. And now it's the people who they think support Israel, whether you do or don't, it's that you are now Jewish and you have stoked race hatred. And this has just become the format in which they view the world. And so now, are you Jewish? Well, you're with Israel. We're not Jewish. We're with Hamas and and Palestine. And therefore, you're on the wrong side of this and you don't get a choice. You know, um, there's again, there's not really much of a bottom to this world because even if they did get full spectrum dominance, they then fight amongst themselves. Well, this is what between happened. Wahhabism or Salafism yeah. against Shia or Sunni or just factions within yep. Hamas Fatah against Hamas or just inter Hamas factions. It's the purity spiral. There's no mm-hmm. end to that, really. Mm-hmm. Well, not an obvious one. Yep. And this this uh, chap here. The students in New York City were specifically targeted for being Jewish. I thought we'd go through some news articles, shall we? Let's talk about being targeted for being what you are, shall we? Am I supposed to have a massive amount of sympathy at this point? The straight white middle class man needs to be dethroned. Why these professors are warning against promoting the work of straight white men? Oh, sorry, are we being targeted for being straight white men, are we? I think we might. Are straight white men are dangerous, are they? Oh, they're the danger. Oh, they're just dangerous, remember? Dangerous. In fact, they're the biggest terror threat in this country. Oh. Just intrinsically. Mm-hmm. Just intrinsically. And this isn't fringe ideology. This is practically the state's idea. Well, this is the Washington Post. These were professors at universities. Like, if I was pulling stuff up off Tumblr, I'd be like, okay, fair enough. But now yeah. Tumblr is in charge of the US government. Exactly. And Joe Rogan's like, well, you know, I think straight white men are being silenced and persecuted by woke culture. Like, pff, duh says NBC News, just like, well, look at this loser. It's like, no, sorry, this has genuinely been happening and we've been seeing it nonstop. And so, like, Tom Watson here is a Columbia professor, a writer, and, quote, a liberal. If you Google Tom Watson, white men, you get loads and loads of entries of him complaining about white men. And he says, I'm legit shocked by some of the people I've followed for years jumping into the anti-Semitism lane. Seriously, shocked. I'm not going to name names, <laughs> but you can't win. I'm completely bamboozled. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're either pretty clueless about the language or they believe it. This is horrible, period. Really, oh, wow. Tom, yeah. is that a shock? 
Anyway, Death the White Man. Did we do a all bit recently? Cr- sorry, sorry. It's just there's a compilation somewhere. A professor calls for death of all white men. Professor oh. calls for white genocide. Oh, yeah, that's the Drexel professor who called for a white genocide Christmas. But there's a video that compiles, I think, at least 50 yeah, of these loads. stories. There's loads. And now these people are like, oh, well, hang on a minute. Can't believe. Anti-Semitism. Did yeah. we do a segment fairly recently about H3H3? Yes. That dude. Yep. Who like, this just suddenly realizes, oh, Hassan's entire Discord are calling me a Zionist pig and want me to die. I can't believe I'm in bed with this. It's like you knew. It's just they were calling us evil white men who needed to die. And you thought, well, I'm Jewish, so it's not my problem. Well, now they've got to I'm you. Not, because, I'm Jewish. Yeah, because now we're out of the picture. And so they're like, right, okay, you're next. It's like, I haven't got that much sympathy, actually. Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't want it to happen. I'm sympathetic in the way that I'm sympathetic to when it was happening to me and to other people before me. But you knew this were, these were the people that you were in bed with, and now they've just, the circular firing squad has come to you, and you're like, oh God, I can't believe it. I need help. No, no. I'm just going to watch them do what they did to us, to you. You're going to get deplatformed. You're going to get canceled. You're going to get persecuted. You're going to get told that you're bad people for being what you are. This is the world you made, Tom. No, I'm thinking This now, is the world we live in. There is this, or there is this sort of progressive stack, yep. uh, sort of a hierarchy. Ironically, they hate hierarchies and things, but um, there's a, a progressive stack. If sort of at the top of the pile are, say, pro-Palestinian type Muslims or Black Lives Matter, black supremacists, let's say, yeah. well, at some point there would have to be some kind of cultural showdown between them. Yep. At some point, wonder, the, like the, the, uh, the, the wonder, creases will get ironed out. And like I said, it's not that I'm not sympathetic to those people who had no hand in making this, but there are people mm. like Tom, as you can see, he's an older man. He's been in the game for a long time. He's been permissive of everything that was happening to it. Like when Charles Murray was attacked by a bunch of these radicals on campus, what did he say? Nothing. You know, when, like, and he's just the totemic example that I just mm. happened to find right. to represent this class of person. Because there are loads and loads of now left-wing liberal professors who are like, well, I mean, persecuting straight people, white people, males, you know, all that was fine. But now they've come for the Jews. And they're like, how could this be happening? No, you knew this was going to happen. We told you this was going to happen. This is what happens when you characterize your political differences in terms of race, gender, and ethnicity, and, so, and sexuality. So I'm not terribly shocked, and I'm not really that sympathetic. You reap what you sow. Exactly. You reap the wind, you sow the, sow the whirlwind. And I, I hope nothing terrible happens, obviously. You know, I don't want anyone hurt or anything like that. But, but it already did to us. But it already did to us and you didn't care. So I'm just like, okay. Well, not only didn't care, they weren't indifferent, were they? Well, that's true. Yeah, a lot, a lot of them. They were cheerleaders. Well, yeah. <laughs> a, so, lot, a lot of them were actively mocking or calling us terrorists or just saying that we were dangerous and actively trying to get us silenced because our thoughts weren't valid. Anyway. What about that? It's a weird time to live in, in which one of the groups has been cast out. I do wonder who's next after the Jews. Which other part? Yeah, the Jews are the next ones. Well, well, the Jews are already here, so I'm wondering what's after. I do feel like um, Islamists and black supremacists at some point will have to clash. Yeah, they will over who's the ultimate winner of the progressive stack. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just wonder how that will play out. Actually, I don't see how Islam can morally win, but I think they don't care. 
I, I, I don't think it's about real moral calculus. Both those factions are um, moral bankrupts, aren't they? In so the, the political factions of them, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, moving on. So the burning of the Robert E. Lee statue has been something, something very mimetic. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, there was a statue in Charlottesville of Robert E. Lee. There was the Charlottesville protest that obviously ended in the, the car attack there after all the infighting between communists and uh, the uh, right wingers there. And mostly the alt right, I believe. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to give them the full credit of being the most people there, but I'm not sure. I just don't remember the time period. I think it. I think no. I think it was. The, it was the Unite the Right rally, which I think was a right, an alt right uh, meetup. An alt right meetup. Yeah. I think, so I think that's fair. The the response from all of that has been well. What if we destroy the statue? Was uh, well the establishment response there, and what they finally decided to do is this. If we get it on screen, which is melt the thing down into slag, and. They decided to cut it up into bits, and as you can see here, they cut off the face of the statue of Robert E. Lee, and have made it kind of cool. I'll be honest, looking Totemic. at that. Totemic. Yeah, that's what this is—the burning head of Robert E. Lee, looking sad and maudlin at the passing of civilization. And they, and they list here some details which make this even more mimetic. Just as a quick thing, this looks like the head of an idol from like Indiana Jones or something. Mm. You know, the, the sad head of a, a dead god mm. finally being melted down. I think it's like one of, those, or something. one of those stone faces in yeah. Labyrinth telling you to turn back before it's too late. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This, to me, this is genuinely a kind of mythological inflection point. But this, if this had just been some statue that's being destroyed because, I don't know, we're changing it for a park or something, it wouldn't. And uh, I think in this case, it's, it's got a real feeling of, uh, I don't know, mysticism almost as you guys talk about it but also a kind of rubicon being crossed right yeah because as they say here it was destroyed in secret it was secretly melted down and will become a new piece of public art here and that perked a lot of ears it was like the cursed art made from the destroyed <laughs> statue of robert e lee but that secret aspect mm. i was like okay i thought i thought that something was being done with it i heard the last thing i heard was they were taking it down and moving it to a museum or something like that mm. which okay which whatever. is what they did yeah. yeah. Sorry, was it's, it done in secret by the authorities, by the state, or just by protesters? Well, the Washington was it? Post. Who, who is doing this in secret? Went there with the people doing this in secret. They found out and helped them do it and film it to make it, I don't know, look cool or something. So they've got the full details. And I'll, I'll just leave the face on screen, I suppose. In fact, I might go back and just look at yeah, that. Yeah, no, keep that <laughs> because up. Because that's amazing. <laughs> and I'll read it to you. So on Saturday, the museum went ahead with its plan in secret in a small southern foundry in a town and states. The Washington Post agreed not to name because the participants fear of violence. Quote, Well, they can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again, said Andrea Douglas, the museum's executive director. Okay, that so was the, the, person mu the museum themselves did this. Okay. It's the yeah. Black History Museum in Charlottesville. They were given the statue and decided in secret to destroy it. And that's something that's, that really makes this some kind of double mythological event. Yeah. We have museum curators destroying their exhibits. Taking on the opinion of ISIS. Yeah, I mean, at least the ISIS... heretical artifacts of the past. Yeah, at least ISIS were turning up and destroying a museum that they weren't a part of. I guess. This is the guys destroying their own stuff because they've declared it cursed. Well, that's something I want to say about iconoclasm. So that's what this is. Yeah. I've said it before somewhere, probably in an epoch, that I think after violent crimes, you know, rape and murder and assault and things... One of the worst things humans can do is iconoclasm. It's just destroying 
icons or art or images trying to destroy history and heritage mm. in all sorts of ways. Um, and it really is a direct line to sort of Maoism or, yeah. or the early Bolsheviks. Yeah. It, it isn't highly what they did. It's not even a parallel. Right. It, it right. is. Right. Oh, and it's, yeah, it's complete, obviously, completely deliberate. I mean, we now have... Very, it's not just a result of someone's odd thinking. Mm. No, that's hard baked into... The sort of communist revolution that we're seeing. Now. Sort of leftism, socialism, communism. Because they want to, they want to <laughs> reformat the past so they have always been good at year zero. So nothing bad, nothing anti-communist or whatever it is has ever really happened. And that's just evil. And you may remember, we now have a law in the UK, you get up to 10 years in prison if you destroy a statue. And this was because they tried to destroy the Churchill one. Yeah. And the Conservatives went a bit mental. Because God, they could go mental about something. Yeah. Honestly, thank God, there was at least one thing. In the, the cold, shriveled heart of the Conservative Party, like they're attacking Winston Churchill. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. Come on. Come on. They, okay, we can, you know, like... Wait 50 years, they won't care. Yeah, of course. But at least there was something... <laughs> a spark of life and humanity in them. But this isn't about them. This is about no, this yeah. statue. And there was a plan, or at least a consideration, that they were going to melt down the statue and turn it into a cannon of the era. So then they'd use the bronze to make something, and that could be a more appropriate way of using it. Not, not very inspiring. But the Jelaine Schmidt, who stood next to the uh, museum curator, said no cannons as she watched it melt. Yeah, cannon would have been cool. Miss uh, Schmidt there, she's also a University of Virginia Religious Studies professor. There's always a professor involved. Uh, Swords into plowshares, a project led by two women, will turn bronze ingots made from the Moulton Lee statue into a public artwork to be display, um, displayed in Charlottesville. All of this could have happened as early as January 2022, but once a lawsuit was fired to block the meltdown, the museum waited until a judge agreed to dismiss the case. And there was a 30 day window for the plaintiffs, the people trying to save the statue, to issue an appeal to go to a, an appeal judge. And in that period, that's when they've decided in secret to destroy it, in complete contempt of court. In case it gets wins an appeal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And this isn't wise, actually. There's a, real, there's a reason you can't visit Hitler's grave, right? As in, well, okay. Can. I thought the Soviets scattered the ashes. Yeah, no one knows. There is no, no grave. There's, um, well, yeah, there's, there's not a physical grave because we went, couldn't find his remains. But if you go to the bunker, the Bureau bunker, there is a sign there. Not sure, there. sure. But like the point being, okay, if, if there are devotees of Robert E. Lee knocking around, okay, we're going to melt it down and turn it to a public artwork. Okay, well, then they'll just go to that and drape that mm. with Confederate flags. Or we could just melt it down and return it into the statue. Doesn't make much sense. Well, yeah, that, that too. But like, it, you, you're not. You're not actually destroying the thing's power that you perceive it to have. But they, they justify it by arguing that they're doing this in secret because of the threat of violence. But to be honest, that just makes them look more and more guilty yeah. of destroying something, which yeah. they knew they couldn't. I mean, yeah. This sort of thing is at odds with civilization. Yeah. It really is. It's at odds with, um, and I mean this in absolutely not the leftist sense, but at odds with progress, actual human progress. It's what it is. It's trying to ride roughshod over history, yeah. um, and it never really works. Like if you look at Stalin trying to erase people, um, erase their memories. Mm. Not only are they now dead, they actually never existed. Look at the Christians um, trying to erase the pagan gods. Yeah, um, it's sort. It's nearly always an exercise in futility for a start. Um, 
And it's just, it's sort of, again, it's not in the same as an actual violent crime, like a murder or rape, but it's sort of the most despicable thing you can do in my book. I mean, you are right to say it's literally against civilization because if civilization mm-hmm. is the continuum and uh, accruing of um, cultural layers and inheritance from the past, then, I mean, that's what the Robert E. Lee statue actually really does represent in this particular case. Whether you agree with the two sides of the Civil War or not, and I'm not an American, so I really don't care. You know, I've got zero investment in the Confederacy or the Union. You know, I'm not an American. I don't care, right? It's not, you know, I wouldn't care if history had gone the other way. What difference would it make to me, right? But But the point is, this is what happened in America, and the statue becomes totemic and symbolic about that issue and what that meant to the development of the American Republic. And so it's something that you carry forward from the past into the future by means of the present. And that's literally what a civilization is like metaphysically. That's what the thing is. And so, yeah, attacking that thing, you are, I think calling it anti-civilization is the best way of framing it. Something like this doesn't help, um, mend the wounds of of the american civil war or anything like that yeah it it opens the wounds well is american society better off in the discussion about the confederacy back when dukes of hazard was on the tv or now definitely great questions and um so real quick you just show you showed me a couple weeks ago a picture in russia where they had three giant flagpoles they had the old czarist imperial eagle flag the the um communist soviet union soviet union and the modern russian flag that is quite a healthy thing to do. Yeah. You're not pretending the past didn't happen. You know, this is just trying to pretend it never happened. Just get rid of it. Just annihilate it. Destroy it. Never speak of it again. And we do, we do some similar things. It's not going to work in Britain as well. When you remember the sort of like the free Tommy protests and stuff like that, right? The free speech, free speech ones. Do you remember the plurality of flags there? Yeah. It was really interesting. Like you get like the Angevin three lions on the red. Uh, and then you'd have, you know, England flags, Scotland flags, Welsh flags, British flags, and just various flags that Britain and England have, and the, the Celtic nations have used. The tapestry of civilization. I like the, the new party one. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't just the uniform, this is the new party. It was throughout the history, and people have obviously just chosen that thing, I like this bit of the history. And it was all incorporated together, and it was all actually quite wholesome. But getting to this article, because the Washington Post end this off, and I think you'll uh, like this, the, the, the creepy nature of the language they use here. They say, but this might be the first Confederate monument to be melted, and each person witnessing the scene on Saturday had a different view of what it meant. Some said the statue was being destroyed. Others called it restoration. Depending on whom you asked, the bronze was being reclaimed, disrupted, or redeemed to a higher purpose. It was a grim act of justice and a celebration all in one. There were toddlers eating pizza, parents in swords and plowshares shirts sitting on lawn chairs, and old friends sipping from paper cups filled with champagne and bourbon. Okay, so let's have a quick break here and say, how much does Robert E. Lee justify this? Uh, Was he uh, actually Adolf Hitler? Because, I mean, if this was a statue of Hitler, I can understand. Uh, how, How bad was Robert E. Lee? Well, he was just a senior general in the in the Confederate Army. That's but what he was. Was he a Nazi? <laughs> no. Like, was was he? Uh, no blacks will be freed under my watch. No. So his thing was he was senior in the American Army, and when the Civil War started, he uh, had a crisis of confidence and um, didn't know which side to to back. 
And uh, in the end, he resigned his commission in the U.S. Army and only then went over. Because he was a Virginiaman. Yeah. Now, there's this thing. Are you more loyal to Great Britain, the U.K., or England? England. Right, yeah, me too. He was more loyal to Virginia than he was to the United States. Yeah. That was his reasoning. He said, I can't raise arms against my own, my own people, my home, my state. That, that was his reasoning. It wasn't really to do with, oh, I love slavery. There well, is a, well, no, as, was, I understand, as I understand it, Robert E. Lee was pro-abolition of slavery. I, I believe so. I, I'm not entirely sure, actually. There is a quote I, I, from but, him that's quite famous, but I don't necessarily, I, someone better in history will have to tell me the details of him being pro-anti-slavery. There's a quote from him which is very similar to Lincoln, which is that if he owned all the slaves in the South, he would free them to avoid this dreadful war. And that seems yeah, to have been a universal yeah. position of all Americans. I'm reasonably sure he had slaves of, own, of his own that he freed. I'm, I believe I'm, that's true. I'm sure that he was on the abolitionist side of the argument. It's just, you're declaring war on my country. So, I mean, this is the, the reality versus what they say here, for example. This metal has a lot of bad juju stuck in it. It's cursed, said the foundry owner. And this is in complete contrast to what I think this guy correctly points out and what you're getting at. This is what a true American is. because. There's, there's so much in this image here for people listening. It's uh, Confederates and Union soldiers years later shaking hands over a, a wall there. You can see they're very old. Yeah, they're very old men. This photos have obviously been colorized. But I remember seeing a manual for American soldiers during World War II who were being sent to Europe. And in there, there was some details about how to live in Europe and what to deal with the Brits and blah, blah, blah. And then there was one line that was particularly fascinating where they mentioned that you may have had grandparents who fought on either side of the Civil War, but we're all in this together now. It's like even as late as World War II, mm. they're, they're having this coming together moment. And that reality is far more healthy than whatever the hell has just happened in the United States. But I suppose with that, we'll move to the response, which is, yeah. um, well, it became, became quite mimetic. As uh, people noticed, my God, look at that thing. So someone wrote a book, The Decline of the American Empire, with its new cover, which... Mm. It's fitting, for sure. I mean, it literally does look like some Easter Island statue or something, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. Penguin Gl glowing with godlike energy. Pronouncing a curse that it will come back and get vengeance. One day. Yeah, I'm thinking of like an Odin or Woden. Yeah, possibly. There's uh, an idea here for if you need a new uh, album cover, you can do that too. Local rat endorses. Find it in Woolworths everywhere. It goes on. Some people started saying it's literally me with uh, this meme. And uh, it kept going. I do love this. He loved Virginia, freed his slaves, and was a war hero. He was a brave Southern gentleman, and this house Robert E. Lee is a hero. End of story. I think that's probably all true, though. Probably. I, I genuinely think that is all true, true statements. I mean, the lies told about the Confederacy is, yeah. is just weird. Like uh, the, the demonization to comic book levels of anything in history usually is ridiculous. That's been my experience. Some people started putting it as their profile picture. This chap did. It's haunting, isn't it? Genuinely haunting thing. Yeah. It also went on. Some people will figure out you can put it into AI. Of course you can. And the AI has been having good fun with that. There's a whole bunch of examples here of uh, people just, well, giving him drip, I suppose is yeah. the modern way of talking about it. There we are. Uh, there's a bit more. <clears throat> I did notice that a lot of Americans did obviously compare this to ISIS and whatnot. Yeah. What I doubly love about that is that something that's 100 and something years old is basically ancient history for <laughs> Americans, which again is, is not a criticism. That's so cute. I love it. <laughs> where, where it's just like, it's, it, it, as they compare it here to ISIS blowing up some ancient Sumerian bollocks in, in Iraq and Syria. Man, 
I went over. I went over to um, Maryland, and uh, I was at a small town whose name I can't remember now. Before I went on Tim's show, and I just wanted to have a walk around just to see what it was like. So I'm walking around this town, and I come to this cemetery, and it's really well kept. Um, and I'm walking around it, and there's this old couple, and I start talking to them, and they proudly tell me that the cemetery was uh, created and it was built in 1906. And so they're, you know, it's a very old cemetery, and they're very proud of that. I was like, oh, that's very good for you. You know, very old, you know, and but they, you know, I didn't, but it's not in a way where you're looking at your down your no, nose. No, I wasn't. It's just like, oh, god, that's great. No, but and I, I was actually like, okay, that's nice because they're, they're establishing themselves historically as a sort of people rooted to the place rather than being just like an American who moves cities every five years because there's a better job there, right? So, this, this to them was like, you know, a homeland. Whereas in Miami, I didn't meet anyone who viewed Miami as a homeland, you know what I mean? So, it, you could you could see there was a textural difference there, but it was nice. It's on oh, 1906. It's nice. It's funny when I've said this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my answer actually knew, but you know what I mean. Like in the church just down the road from where I sort of grew up, mainly there's some gravestones there from the 11th century. Yeah, but if you go to like maybe. Ankara or Basra, they'd be like, oh, how cute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you <laughs> 11th century AD. Oh. Walking past the ziggurats of Ur in <laughs> yeah. Iraq, you know, it's just like, yeah, I guess, okay. But it's on. not an unimportant point to mention this because it actually doubles the crime here, in my view, because you are destroying something that is quite rare in the United States, which is anything older than 10 years. And this is why, in my experience, they love old things. I mean, you can see here a Lenin statue that's been sent to Seattle. Yeah. And a lot of people obviously being like, well, burn this then. You know, the hypocrisy point's obviously true. No one cares about Lenin, no matter how many people he kills. But it's also just, yeah, you've actually... definitely killed more people than Robert E. Lee as well. But the burning of the statue as well is a crime in and of itself because America doesn't have much old stuff. Like, you should actually take care of it. And it's it's ridiculous to do it. And for people who do appreciate statues and such, I mean, you can take an idea out of the playbook of BLM here, which is just replace the statue that's been destroyed with one of your own. Just make a newer, fancier one and put it in the same place. Because this is what BLM did for oh, us. Yeah. One quick thing I will say, though, about iconoclasm, broadly speaking, is it seems to be sort of deep down in the human condition, though, somewhere. You, you go to a museum and you look at things for, that have somehow survived from the ancient world. Mm. They've quite often had their noses knocked off, yeah. their arms knocked off, just a portion of the head smashed away. Um, so it, from ancient times. Uh, or even all the Muay on Easter Island yeah, pushed yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Without I, even starting on the French Revolution, yeah, I and all the stained glass that was broken there, it seems like people, but it is a want to, like uh, periodically destroy their own past, or a, not a faction of well, people no, no, it, will do that. You, you, it's you, hard you, to avoid, right. almost. But uh, it's impossible to avoid because what, what, what it represents is the ushering of a new era and a new set of values that contradict and dis and denigrate the prior values before, and so what came before was is rendered as evil. And so it's a total inversion of values. Like what was good to those people is now evil to you. And so you have to destroy it to make your mark effectively. But the amount that you do that is an indication of how insane your movement has become. How insecure mm-hmm. you are. Yeah, yeah. Some people That's brought right. up, yeah, which yeah. I remembered, which is it wasn't just Robert E. Lee statues that have to come down. His horse's grave. I don't know if you remember this. As in, yeah, I do remember this. That is mental. <laughs> the horse. <laughs> the horse had to die, apparently. <laughs> This is where the horse is buried. There's a little plaque next to it and a little plaque on the floor to remember a traveler, the horse. And they went and destroyed that. I mean, I'm sorry, but the, the American movement to destroy everything about America is uh, evil beyond belief. When I mean, you're blowing up a horse's grave. <laughs> I mean, again, <laughs> you look at ISIS and they're like, 
well, carry on. <laughs> so, yeah. calm, calm down, boys. But moving on. <laughs> you, you understand it was a slave-owning horse. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to mention as well, just to put it in context, uh, there was a quote from Trump a while back where he was like, if only we had Robert E. Lee today to command our troops in Afghanistan, which, I mean, right. this is the real divide. <clears throat> That's a direct quote. You can read it at the I end mean, there. Robert Lee was a fine general, so... It'd be better than the ones they have now, and uh, that's something you can deal with. But just to end this off as a statement I've uh, made before, and I really want to hit it across for anyone who doesn't quite understand why I look at this the way I do. Here we have uh, images of the Confederate battle flag being used throughout all of American wars since the Civil War, and that's something that always has confused me as to why all of a sudden they've decided to try to destroy it, because you can see here Americans with Confederate battle flags are liberating Europe. But you think this all represents slavery? How exactly? Like, it just doesn't. And it goes on and on. This is, uh, I believe, also World War II. And then this is uh, another conflict. I, I can't date this one. And then it goes all the way to, as you can see, the, or the Mississippi flag there, I think, with uh, the Confederate battle flag being part of the state flag. And in both of these examples as well, I do find it quite funny that there's a black chap in both of them. Yeah. Okay. It's not what it's about. No. Are they going to try and delete? 1969 Dodge Chargers in orange with welded shut doors because they're pretty cool I'd hate to see those get don't see many of them around do you but hell that may be coming but either way this is uh, I think not an insignificant event but if not for any other reason than the imagery has given us for how insane well the direction of travel America is on the confederacy and how incorrect it is sorry one of the things I hope I think is that the vast majority of Americans, I think, I hope, are as aghast at this sort of thing as, as we are. The way yeah. uh, most people in Britain seem to be aghast by sort of Corbynistas or having Rishi Sunak as prime minister. Most people are like, I didn't want that. Yeah. That's not what, that doesn't represent me. I think, I hope most Americans will look at the, the melting down of, of Bobby Lee and be sickened. Well, I think that's I, why they did it in secret. Right, okay, right. It speaks volumes, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Okay. So, but I, I think, you know, I'm sure they They are. know they're guilty. Yeah. Anyway, let's go to the video comments, I suppose. Yeah. Honestly, they're a kind of form of leftist, just one that has a different view on the administrative state. Carl, that doesn't make any sense. The ANCAP position is the furthest right you can be because it's all about putting responsibility on yourself, individual freedom, uh, and being your own master. The responsibility lands on you as an ANCAP to be a good person. You've got no state. You've got nobody else telling you what to do, how to live your life. Uh, so you have to be a good person of your own volition. That's the furthest right position possible. I disagree, but I'm not going to get into it. Well, refuse yeah. to elaborate. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't really know what to do with that one then. I, I don't really consider ANCAP to be right wing. Okay. You ever going to expand on that or just, nope. just keep it to yourself forever? I might, I might do a video on it separately yeah, or something I, like that. I don't really think that, yeah, that's too low resolution. Or something like Michael Malice is ultra right wing. Yeah, I don't agree. That's not right. Yeah. That's not right. Yeah. So there, there's, <clears throat> there's a lot to say there, but we don't have time for it. So All right. Yeah. Save it for another time. You need a couple of hours to break that. Yeah, basically. But I'll, I'll do that with like Stelios one time as well. Can't feel like a left wing meme. Carl, for yeah. Christ's sake, get over yourself. Our system is really, really good because... If anything, it's resistant to ballot harvesting. I mean, that is one thing, but shh, it's time to vote, Craig. Get in the ballot box, Craig. What was that in response to, sir? In Australia, you have to vote. Oh, right, right. Yes, you must right. I kind of hate right. that. You know, it's like the, the Americans going, land of the free, but here's my ID. You know, it's like, mm. why do you have an ID? 
So why do you have to vote if you're? You have a license to exist, sir. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Sorry, like all of the Anglo nations yeah. got a problem. We're we're a democracy now. Get in that ballot box. Or I'll shoot you. And it's like, I hate it. It's like, mm. That's not freedom to me. I don't like that. That's such democracy. Like that's yeah, uh, yeah it is. It's French democracy. No, it's not French democracy. It is democracy. I mean, yeah, I, I never yeah, had yes. a I had a real clear moment when Helen was explaining the Ameri the Australian system, and you looked so shocked, and I was just like, No, I'm sorry. If you believe in democracy, the Australian system is it. Yeah, and I that's guess, why I don't yeah. like democracy. And it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that's true. That's true. I'm, I'm not uh, a big fan of it. But if you're going to have it, yeah, of course you've got to have compulsory voting. Otherwise, what's the point in this exactly? And Craig, Craig makes a great point. I mean, it probably is a lot more impervious to the sort of exploitation that American democracy is suffering at the moment than uh, the alternative. You know, he's absolutely right. It's not that it doesn't have its virtues. I just really don't like it. It's, yeah, that's fine, but you yeah, can I never argue like for democracy again because um, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> she was making this very good point that as a result, <coughs> the Australian electorate, they're actually really clued up when it comes to political matters. It doesn't mean they're smarter than everyone else or anything, but they actually have to pay attention. Because that's why the government shoots them. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, well, obviously, if you have democracy, you have to have an electorate that know what the hell they're talking about. That's why it was restricted in the olden days to try and minimize that problem. And now we've done this crazy thing of extending it to everyone, but then being like, yeah, if you want to be retarded and still vote, go for it. Yeah, and that and, and he is he's absolutely right that like what this allows is total capture of the two main parties under the aesthetic of the party, but the machinery of something evil, and the public are just too dumb to understand. And that is one very tangible flaw of our version of democracy. You know? My problem with enforced voting is that it presupposes that if you abstain to vote, that is sort of nothing. It's not nothing. Yeah, that still makes a political statement if you refuse to vote you're you're always a citizen that's the thing of course there is a difference between refusing to vote out of principle and just being lazy and, sure. or, and, and, and indifferent but at least you have they are different things but, but still but at least you have an area of life where you can say look i'm choosing not to be political you know you can yeah, assert right, yeah, it you yeah. know, i'm not i'm not going to engage with the politics you want democracy? You can't. Well, that's exactly. I get your point, and you're yeah, right. Yeah. And you are right. But I just don't want the state to force me to do anything within reason. Yeah, exactly. So, and voting is definitely not one of those things. Yeah. Now I'm going to vote for the furthest right party I can, and cat party. No. Um, Omar, says, <laughs> Omar says, Hey, Callum, I know how much you hate reporting the date, so maybe you could add a bit of malicious compliance. Tell us the date in non standard calendars or worse, foreign Aztec calendar, Callum. I'm going to look up the Islamic calendar and use it from now on. Thanks. I think the oh, date wow. is 1400. <laughs> Dirty Belt says, as an autistic chap, I consider neurodivergent to be a slur, like the Latinos seeing Latinx. Just call me a retard. It's much nicer. <laughs> uh, Charlie says, guys, today's podcast is definitely making my day easier. Happily laughing at the insanity of the left. Well, that's good. Uh, Base Tape says, uh, it must be so easy to think like a lefty. Just look at anything and say the exact opposite. If someone says someone can't be a lifeguard because they have no arms and legs, they just say they should be a lifeguard. Repeat. The same thought throughout every aspect of your life. I do think it does the brain good. Like it feels like it's like living life on autopilot, right? Being left wing. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't have to think about that. No, what have I been told? Oh, well, it's obviously the, the, the calculation has been done for you. And so whatever you're presented with, you go, well, who's in charge and who's not in charge? Well, they're good guys. The criminals, yeah, they're good guys. Police, bad guys. I think there is a reason why the NPC meme works so well in left wing ideology. People have tried to apply it to right wingers and make, you know, look at these right wing NPCs. There's an element of it, but it doesn't really fit the same way. Yeah, it doesn't resonate, does it? Well, like in 1984 with Big Brother or Living Under Stalin or Mao, yeah, there, there will be a party line. 
and you will be told what that line is. Yeah. And you just have to repeat it. And that's it. You can leave your brain at the door. But this you, is the difference. You don't have to think about it. it. In something like 1984 or in the Soviet Union, you have to tow the party line. You are in trouble if you don't. They want to tow the party mm. line. They want to be told what the right line is to get them through whatever difficulty they're going through. And so that's the, the thing that I find really disturbing, disquieting. It's like, really, you want... They, they have a need for it. Yeah, you want to be told what things are. God, thank God. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd have to think about things. Yeah. I don't know. You know, but it would be nice if someone could just tell me, oh, Israel bad today. Great. Thank God. I wouldn't want to be in that position. <clears throat> I like in 1984. It's not enough just to obey Big Brother. Yeah. You've got to genuinely love him. Yeah, and they've got to that point. Yeah. Charles says, more neuro neurodivergent re uh, representation in leadership, but their leadership is already retarded. Uh, that never stopped them before, and it won't stop them in the future. <laughs> George says, remember the arguments that feminism was defeated in 2016? Look at the Labour lineup filled with, to the brim with man-haters. These are the harpies which will make more laws in a year or two. Well, I never said that feminism was defeated. I said it just got folded into the left's prior assumptions. So everything that feminism was asserting was just like, yes, by the left. Yeah, it's hard to show because of the time constraints, but they did still have the whole trans women and women thing. Yeah. So they would have the first women such and such, and you'd look and you'd go, oh, it's a lady. Yeah. The Unbreakable Litany says, Callum was like first neurodivergent PM. I'd love a gamer autist PM. <laughs> that would be good. Mohammed bin Salman apparently is. How is he? You've not seen the interview with him where he's just like, yeah, I love gaming. <laughs> no, I haven't seen that one actually. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love a gamer autist PM who looked at the world as if it was a game of Rome Total War. Um, that's he'd do I'd a good think. job. Yeah, exactly. Well, he'd be Putin is what he'd be. Yeah, exactly. exactly <laughs> Geopolitical yeah. strategist. Yeah. He'd be like, right, okay, so Britain's my empire. How can I defeat the other empires? Yeah. Um, Baron von Warhawk says, when it comes to these leftists experiencing cancel culture, I do not feel sorry for these freaks, but they're the ones who started cancel culture in the first place. They bred a man-eating tiger to devour their enemies, never expecting that they would be on the menu due to their own arrogance and stupidity. Yes, the people voting for Tiger's party got the tiger. Um, a man who thinks about the Roman Empire says, I wonder how many people the Labour Party is going to have to expel for anti-Semitic behavior. I don't think there's a limit. Uh, you know that there's going to be people saying they're saying that Israel is evil and should be destroyed for what they're going to do to the Palestinians. It's going to be funny watching the party descend in civil war over the Gaza Strip issue. Yeah, I I can only imagine what Keir Starmer's like daily itinerary is like. It's like okay, I have to come out and be like, we stand with Israel because Jeremy Corbyn's anti-Semitism is something I made my bones condemning. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Corbyn's anti-Semitism is yeah. not the same as Islamic anti-Semitism. Right. Jeremy Corbyn's anti-Semitism was white people hating Israel. Yes. They've all gone. The Muslims are all still there. But, but Kia, as you said, was, you know, they're very much like, you know, what's his name? Lammy. I don't I really don't think he's actually gonna expel people. They're just gonna try and dodge it as much as possible. I'm not saying they're gonna expel the people. Question. I'm not saying they have to expel people, but what they do have to do is publicly stand on no, we stand with Israel, right? Because all of the powers that be are standing on that. And like I say, ninety five percent of the Muslims are just like, well, bye then. And it's like, that's a big constituency for the Labour Party. They can't really afford to lose. It's about 30-something seats Yeah, they'll lose. That's a lot for them. Yeah, it's not a small amount. And so, like, it's a lot for anyone. And so it's just like, you know, glad I'm not on the horns of that dilemma. <laughs> so could you imagine that if you started a movement and that's where you ended up? <laughs> Debating between which side of anti-Semites you're going <clears> to... <throat> because oh, we've got to appease to Islamism, otherwise our movement can't go forward. And I, I, for all the problems we do have, at least we don't have to deal with that crap. Yes. Um, George says, 
The destruction of history by totalitarian regimes really boils my blood. If the UK had any balls, they'd offer to save the Confederate statues in the British Museum. With the chance are the local animals will try to damage them. After all, <laughs> Churchill wasn't safe from vandalism while the police did nothing. Oh, God. <laughs> that would be a brilliant move. It's just like, well, clearly statues aren't safe in Syria, so we have to take care of this. And they're not safe in America either. I suppose we'll take that one too. <laughs> I think that would actually be a really interesting end. It'd be a really good British move as well. Yeah, that would. That would. Uh, Alexander says, this legitimately pissed me off. Robert E. Lee was one of America's great men. The utter disrespect for him is disgusting. I agree. I think it was, I, it just, the era of great men is over, is what the burning of the statue to me says. Uh, someone online says, devotees of Robert E. Lee, you mean literate Americans who know that he was a great general and abolitionist and essential to the restoration of the South. Yeah, you know, those people. He's kind of like the Hannibal of the South in a way. You know, because after the war, he does a huge amount of work, doesn't he, to help like the restoration? This is very similar to Hannibal after the Second Punic War. It does a lot to help restore Carthage, and so yeah, I mean, it's just disgusting, frankly. But anyway, I'm not going to keep going on and on about it. I really don't like what has happened here. It's really, really unhealthy to be yeah. that ashamed of your past. Um, you know, so for example, you know. That's- uh, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. They've never point. become normal people again, as well. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, so for example, the British Empire, there are examples of some pretty bad exploitation, the odd massacre here and there. It's like, I'm no more ashamed of that than I am proud of winning the Battle of Plastic. I wasn't there. I had nothing to do with it. Sure. It's something that happened hundreds of years ago. Um, it, it, there's no need to try and annihilate it and sweep it under the carpet, good or bad. It, that's not the right, that's not really. Not good way it's to it's live a really life. unhealthy. It's a really unhealthy way to look at the past. Yeah, it's pathological, isn't it? That's the yeah, point. yeah, yeah. There will never be any resolution. There will be any closure on anything ever. Then, mm. um, yeah, there can only be ignorance. There can never be acceptance. That's the problem. Because what that's what they're doing. They're trying to okay. Robert E. Lee never existed. Basically, is what they want to get to. So okay, but now you, we've already arrived at the point where many Zoomers don't think the Holocaust existed. Now we've arrived at ignorance, not understanding well, didn't we have that clip of um kamala harris repeatedly saying that same slogan over and over again oh yeah what was the slogan? she said something i can't remember verbatim but it was something like um we don't need to be tethered to the past in any way uh yeah let's go forward build build back better yeah but without um any reference to the past yeah i can't remember the exact the, word. the ultimate end of history phrase but she said it sort of a dozen times or something in all different speeches yeah it's like a really dumbed down phraseology as well i can't remember the exact words uh, but it is that is sort of maoist stalinist level iconoclasm is what she's saying she's sort of saying we if we could or we are going to annihilate your heritage but it's also destroy such, your past and your history it's such an arrogant claim is we are independent of history it's evil it's evil but it's, but it's also mad you're not in right, yeah. history at all you're completely situated in the time and a place on a continuum of events so saying, okay, we're going to step off of this and be like the liberal dream or the communist dream. It's like, yeah, but that's just you being insane. I think the most embarrassing part about any time this happens in history is not being able to be more beautiful or remembered more fondly than the thing you destroyed. Mm-hmm. And the Soviets had a massive problem with this because you can see the stuff that they destroyed. It's all been rebuilt now. Like loads of massive cathedrals were rebuilt in the 90s and 2000s in Russia, which is really weird when you read it. It's like, this was built in 2005. You're kidding me. This looks like it's a million years old. But it was built in the same structure and style as the thing that was a million years old. And then you start to notice the stuff that did remain that's from the Tsarist era is 
freaking beautiful. And the closest the, Stal- the, the Soviets ever got was the Stalin era, building some Stalinist buildings. Mm. And even they're not as good. Mm. And it's just like, that's a real condemnation of your movement. And BLM, those types, they're never going to build anything even better than the style of statues of Confederate heroes. Yeah. I, I don't think they ever built anything appealing. Well, did I mean, you not see the, the black woman with the fist up? Yeah, the George Floyd statue they built. The massive arms of Martin Luther King hugging his wife that looked like two massive turds. I mean, they, they just don't have so they don't bad. have a single aesthetic victory. There's yeah. no Ws anywhere to be found. And that's that's probably, I think, the best way of showing that you suck. Like in a hundred years, no one is gonna miss you or even remember you. Or be fond of the things that you've left them. All you did was destroy. You'll be remembered as a, an abomination. Yeah, a regression. Yeah. The opposite of progress, actually. Some people saying, am I talking about comic blocks? No, you'll have to look up um, Stalinist architecture. Um, they're called Stalinkas sometimes. Basically, they're these really fancy. They actually look like Tsarist era stuff, funnily enough, because that's what looks good. Uh, buildings that Stalin insisted on building because he realized that everything looked like crap. And uh, there we are. But we're out of time. So if you'd like more from us, go to lotuscenes.com. Um, we will be back in half an hour with the gold Zoom call. So do come and join us if you're a gold team member, or we will be back on Monday. Thank you and goodbye.